Welcome to... No. Hang on. Welcome to Hand of Pod. start. Oh. Right? Yeah, somebody's got it. Um, welcome to episode 446 of Hand of Pod, everybody. We are reviewing Argentina's World Cup 2022 group stage campaign and looking forward to at least one knockout round. I'm Sam Kelly and I'm joined by English Dan. Hello. Andres. Hello, welcome. And meeting each other for the first time actually face to face rather than <laughs> on WhatsApp or Twitter, Santi. Hi guys. And Remy. Hello. Who um, we haven't realised, but it's been almost exactly a complete World Cup cycle since Remy was last with us. Yeah, yeah well, this time at least uh, Holland, or the Netherlands, as I, sh- I should say, uh, is participating. Unlike uh, Indeed, Russia, yeah. 2018. <laughs> so we worked out that it was, what, 143 episodes or something? Since something that I've... Been ignoring your mails for the last four years, sadly. <laughs> Until yeah, this yeah. week. Wait, so even Dutch people say Holland at times because yeah. it's like so hard to get into the that yeah. get into the swing of it, like yeah. getting the hang of just saying Netherlands <laughs> instead of Holland. Every time. We're chanting Holland, Holland, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but only for the the football team. Only for oh, the football team. Yeah, only for the football team. So I we mean, don't talk about because I'm not from Holland. Holland I'm from the it's not about football. Right, right. makes sense. I mean, there's already kind of like a civil war within the La Nacion corridors. You know, uh, so Orlando or Paisi Exactly. So, <laughs> Did it get hit? A lot of people who will, uh, you know, just uh, will not back down from that, calling in Holland. That's the hill they're willing to die on. Exactly. I think that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. I, I will accept it from foreigners. I have no problem with that. <laughs> if a Dutch person who is from Holland, the province of Holland, calls yeah. me a Hollander, I will take, take slight offence. <laughs> okay. Remind us where exactly in the Netherlands you're from, Remy, because, I mean, obviously we know, or I'm struggling to remember if I'm being perfectly honest, but uh, a lot of our listeners might remember if they've got really good memories. It was 152 episodes ago that you were last on. <laughs> uh, I'm from the south of the Netherlands. Uh, I grew up in Tilburg, which is a city with a glorious football team, mm. Willem II. They're like the Kilmets of, uh, of the Netherlands. <laughs> they have a glorious past, but their present day is a little bit more complicated. Um, and that's about five kilometers from Belgium, so we're, we're very, mm-hmm. very southern. Definitely not in, in the provinces of Holland, where most of the famous teams like Ajax and Feyenoord are from. Mm-hmm. And in Argentine terms, um, not that it's really going to come into this episode very much anyway, but you are a River fan. Yes. And a Platense attender as well, I overheard you telling Andres. Yeah, that's my, uh, my neighborhood, my new adopted neighborhood over the last few years. So I live a few blocks mm-hmm. from the Gancha, from and I love to go and see some match without going through the hassle of like five, being patted down five times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and all the hassle that it's just going to see River. <laughs> just because it's easy to attend to the yeah. yeah. games. Yeah, it's easy. I, I used to go to Atlanta when I was living nearby the Atlanta team. So I always uh-huh. like go and visit teams where, when they're nearby. It's and that spo- way, you don't get spoiled. You're, you're, because when you're watching TV and you're a few blocks from the country, you hear the, the, the goal chants before the ball enters on your television. So it's better to go. Mm. And it makes sense. You support your local club. Exactly. 
Absolutely. Very nice. What whereabouts? Well, in some cases, I you know, I don't go to very many matches. Some not really, but yeah. Um, we have got Remy along. I mean, he's always welcome, as he said. He's the one uh, ignoring my emails for the most part. <laughs> but uh, I, I prompted uh, him particularly this time round because, as I said, we're we're sort of previewing the whole of the knockout stage of the World Cup here. I guess we're previewing Argentina's potential path through it, if you like, because we're not really paying much attention to the other teams in this podcast for obvious reasons. Um, and the Netherlands, I almost said Holland then, and I never do that, I'm very pedantic, so. <laughs> the Netherlands uh, are, I don't know whether we could say the most likely, but a potential quarterfinal opponent for Argentina. Um, so Remy will be giving us some of his expertise on that front a little bit later. Um, no offence is intended to our Australian listeners. We have got something very special indeed, Dan and I, uh, coming up for you. Hopefully a few hours at least before the game, um, before the round of 16 match against Australia kicks off. Uh, because if you are a Patreon supporter, then you will be able to benefit from a chat that Dan and I are going to be having in about 24 hours time. With Hopefully, fingers crossed. We still need to make sure the path's yeah. clear, work-wise and all sorts. But... As I said on Twitter, a little bit, a little bit of a teaser. Talks are very much underway, and um, they're looking positive. Yes, we need to confirm absolutely, but we're hoping to get Australians down. And no offence, of course, to our United Statesian listeners. No, no, indeed. Uh, Remy will be running the rule over them later. As mm. anybody who watched any of the matches in England's group, which uh, doesn't actually happen to include me, <laughs> I, did, I did watch some of them, but I didn't catch England against the States. Um, you didn't miss anything. Anyway, as you might be aware, if you've been paying attention to this World Cup, Argentina have managed to win Group C. 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 Oh, yes, C. I was about to say B, but that's not the right one, is it? Uh, group C. As we were all expecting. And, uh, you know, it, it was just... Easy ride, no bumps in the ride yet. No nerves. Just very like we thought at the yeah. end. Um, just as expected. Just, just suspected. You know? Indeed, yeah. yeah. Since 1990, I think, on our trivia group, we've been discussing it, there have been... Five, four-team uh, World Cup groups where the bottom-placed team beat the team that finished top of the group. Mm-hmm. Two of those have happened in this tournament. Um, wow. And obviously one of them was the opening match where Saudi Arabia got very, very lucky playing such a high line, but I think deserved to get lucky, mm-hmm. given how brave the game plan was and how well they executed it, and beat Argentina 2-1. After that, Argentina got two 2-0 wins. I'm remembering this right. I was like, yeah, they scored five goals overall, so they must have done. Uh, beating Mexico. Argentina versus Mexico in the World Cup. Obviously, they beat them. And <laughs> Poland uh, to finish top of the group. Poland go through in second place. I'll throw the floor open. Who's got some comments? I think, really, you can divide the group stage into two almost equal parts. You had the first game against Saudi Arabia and the first half against Mexico. Absolutely diabolical from an Argentine perspective. Then the second half against Mexico and the full 90 minutes against Poland, which were really, really good. A lot like what we saw in those, what, 36? Yeah. 36. 36 matches they went unbeaten and which obviously ended um, yeah, against they, Saudi Arabia, as we all expected. Like sort of the world record. Yeah. yeah. Um, complete, you know, completely different teams and I think it's probably a good sign that the bad stuff came first because it seems to suggest that they were nervous, you know, you're looking at uh, a team which had, it's not actually one of the youngest teams, it's kind of misleading the, yeah. the Argentina team because you look at a lot of the players and they seem young, but then the average age is pushed up so much by guys like 
Messi guys like Di Maria guys like Otamendi that they rank actually and Papa Gomez as well and Papa Gomez they're actually ranked within kind of the oldest teams but on a squad level they're much you know they tend more towards the mean Um, but experience wise I think how many of that first line up against uh, Saudi Arabia have World Cup experience Uh, Messi Di Maria Acuna and Otamendi yeah so four of them um, and I think it showed because they looked very nervous, especially that that midfield, which has worked so well for Argentina, really for the duration of the Scaloni era. De Paul was unrecognisable yeah. after being so good. He was just chucking the ball all over the place. It was it was incredible. And Paredes really wasn't much better. Um, just that whole kind of the functioning of the team, which really has worked so well, it just went completely out the window, whether it's through nerves, tension... Or just because Saudi Arabia did what they were doing so well. And of course, fortune favours the brave. Um, But it does seem they learned the lessons. Um, Obviously, they found it a lot easier going against Poland, who didn't press, didn't put the midfield under pressure. And that's obviously how Argentina liked to play, with a bit more time on the ball. Uh, I assume they'll see something similar against Australia. I don't think Australia are going to go guts to the wall um, chasing... Uh, everyone around the pitch, but um, definitely, you know, I feel better about Argentina's World Cup chances now than that, I did a week ago today. Uh, I think that the role that Paredes and De Paul, both of them, got was uh, Enzo Fernandez, who, when Argentina won the Copa America, he was a defensive justice, I think, mm-hmm. still, and it was not known where, whether he will be play, playing uh, next. Uh, and well, they, he had a, of course, spectacular year. Still having spectacular year. Yeah, and Julian Alvarez as well, who basically went along to the Copa America on work experience, like not really yeah. as someone who was yes. expected to do it. Players who Alexi McAllister. Alexi McAllister. Yes. Bright and sunny, yeah. Not in the mix at all. No. About McAllister, there is an incredible story about him and his father. Oh, yeah. Who was called up for the 1993 playoff match against Australia for the mm-hmm. 1994 World Cup. Carlos mm-hmm. McAllister. Yeah. And now his son will be playing against them again, of course. And uh, after the win, he was famously pictured yes. naked, which uh, basically ruled him out for the World Cup <laughs> because of that. Which is, uh, I ho- hopefully that doesn't happen again. Yeah, um, I could do about more that. pictures of Carlos McAllister naked. Um, <laughs> that first lineup, you yeah. were all making the point before I woke up, because as I mentioned, um, when we last recorded, I wasn't going to get up for a seven o'clock kickoff. Um, I might have done it another World Cup, but not this one. Um, so I, I watched it later on. I have seen the whole match because I needed to be able to, you know, talk about it on here. <laughs> uh, and also because it was interesting. Like if Argentina had won five nil, I probably have just watched the goals. Yeah. And, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agreed with what you were saying, Dan, about how you know on, on the team sheet or on the screen graphics or whatever you can make it look like a four-three-three or a four-four-two, but really it was a four-two-four mm-hmm. with with Papu Gomez going so far up on the left and obviously Di Maria on the right, and it it just seems like it was such a drastic departure from, as you put it, the way that Argentina have played in these mm-hmm. thirty-six matches—a very balanced approach, happy to dominate the ball and, and probe and look for those openings and, and move the ball from one side to the other. Which we saw with both of the goals against Poland coming at the end of yeah. like an 18 pass move and a 27 pass move. Or 37 if you count the 10 passes before the quickly take a free kick. Indeed. Um, it, it just seemed strangely sort of frenetic and, mm. and 
or like they were trying to make it frenetic and like they were trying to force it a bit against a team who, as it turned out, especially with that high line, were very happy indeed to yeah. make it frenetic. And yeah. it didn't seem necessary. I mean, you were ahead with a penalty after what? Yeah. Ten minutes. Yeah, like, yeah. Why force it? Just. I mean, the other thing, as, as I messaged to the group after I'd seen the game that night, to me, the start of the second half leading up to the goal. Obviously, I'm not going to say I could see what was coming because I knew that Saudi Arabia won the yeah. match 2-1, so yes, clearly I could see what was coming. But it, it was just like they went out in the second half and completely forgot that they were, in fact, already winning. Mm-hmm. Like, like mm-hmm. they were like, OK, well, we're not 3-0 up, so we have to panic. And like, yeah, OK, but you are 1-0 up. Like, mm-hmm. you're not 0-0. And even if you are 0-0, that's not the worst result in the world, even if it will be a bit embarrassing. Just... Just keep the ball and you're winning the match. And they didn't do that. It, it's a uh, critic that reminds me of the first match of the Copa America. Mm. Argentina had the same problem. Of the, uh, they received okay. the same criticism. Chile 1-0, right? <coughs> yeah. Like or did they squeeze it? No, they won uh, no, 1-0. Yeah, 1-0. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the penalty uh, saved and then the rebound. Yeah, that after, after just going ahead and being 1-0 ahead, then just giving away the initiative of the match, just leaning back. Yeah. And they received a lot of flag for that at the time. Mm-hmm. And it happened yeah. a few times in that Copa America. Yeah, it was, it was we tend to look back at it a bit with rose-tinted spe- spectacles because yeah. we, all, we all know what happened in the Maragana. But there were a lot of times in that competition where Argentina took the early lead almost every game and then were made to sweat. Yeah, that, that was mean back then. Yeah. Mm. But, right, uh, right. I mean, it, it feels like uh, Argentina played their best games under Scaloni after they won the Copa America. You know, like, yes, uh, of course, yes. The 3 0 wins against Uruguay and Italy, you know, those came when the team was already riding on that confidence of having won the Copa America. And I, and I felt like this particular group stage, group stage was uh, very similar, in fact, to the 2019 Copa America. Mm. Um, in the sense that uh, this was a team that was, well, at this specific moment, they were hit by uh, not just a very, very crucial injury uh, woe in, this, in, the, in Giovanni Lo Celso. Mm. And they also, you know, were rocked by, you know, what was happening with the squad and the last-minute changes. And a lot of players were not much fit and were still started in that game. The likes of Romero and Perez, who you could tell they were not much fit. Uh, and as the tournament went along, uh, Scaloni was forced to find his team while he was still playing. But eventually he did. Yeah. You know, uh, he, was, he could still look within that squad to build another midfield from, from scratch. Uh, with the one we saw now with um, Enzo Fernandez at uh, a defensive midfield with the Paul and uh, Macarester flanking him, and we've seen the we've seen the progress, we've seen what what that has done with Argentina, and we've also seen what uh, the the substitutes have done. For example, when Di Maria was sub, was subbed, uh, Paredes came in. They were they changed they switched to a four four two, and that also freed Enzo Fernandez, which allowed the second goal to happen in the first place. Which means that uh, probably. I mean, you could say that the, um, the feeling of terror that the Argentine fans had at the, at, after that first game was a little bit exaggerated. Even it's if, understandable. Even if it was you're, you're at sudden death already exactly. with one game gone, like one slip up. Basically, exactly. like the knockout. The yeah. knockout stages for Argentina yeah, started, they started in the game after the first game. Luckily, yeah. yeah. it was in the first game, game, yeah. Luckily, it was in Yeah, I mean, if there was one game that you could lose... It was that one because I mean it would better it would better it was it was a lot better if uh, that 36 game streak ended in the first game and you can still you know turn it around to the group stage than if you want lost in the quarters or the semis which meant that the World Cup was over for you. I mean it's what the Argentina faithful were crying out for, more exactly. I mean get that unbeaten streak out of the way before you lose the game. That's, <laughs> that's really going to come. Exactly. So. 
Maybe so, they did it on purpose, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but going back to something Sandy said, um, I've said it quite a few times when I've been asked or when I could find someone to listen. Um, I think one of the great virtues of this Argentina team is that they're kind of so united, so such a strong collective and they understand each other so well that when you have to make changes, it's not like in 2018 when you had a case like Sambauli changing his team up every every single game and no one had a fucking clue what they had to do. In this team, you can make three changes, take three players off and the three players that come in, you know that they've been in the team so long and they're so well gelled that minimum, you're not going to lose anything. Yeah. And you can't say that. I mean, that's really rare, even in club football, let alone national team football. Well, there's, there's actually there's one exception to that, and I'm going to feel slightly smug here because I did pick him <laughs> out beforehand. I've been picking him out all year. Mm. Enzo Fernandez has barely been with the team. It feels like three weeks. Yeah. I mean, he, he was. Yeah, but I mean, before. but I'm not saying just player by player. I mean, no, no, know, no, the I mean, spirit I in the group exactly is that someone yeah. can just come in. Yeah. And feel at home and know exactly what they have to do. And, and I think, in a way, the fact that there is the the, the, the one exception you find, it, it almost kind of proves the rule. It's such a yeah. united group that you yes, bring, exactly. uh, you know, like if you're bringing in like five or six players from outside, it might be another mm. matter. But if you've got somebody like Enzo who comes in and, and they need him, and it helps that he's mm. for a 21 year old ridiculously, you know, yeah. utility. He can play absolutely anywhere in the midfield. Um, and it's so different from what really, Argentina almost always do at World Cups because. Mm. There's always a high level of improvisation, even under Savela. Yeah. You went in and suddenly, like in the first game, you have a five-man defence with Balanda, who hadn't played at all. Like, yeah, what the hell is he doing? Yeah, yeah that's, that's crazy about the, the, that squad announcement when it came, which was uh, probably one of the least controversial squads ever assembled. Yeah, because everyone knew who was going to be there, Argentina. Yeah. Like you, you felt like, like there was no the 26th names. or 27th man. Exactly. And most of them got in anyway because I of mean, the injuries. The only name that people were crying for was someone who was like third choice. Yeah. In Ángel Correa, who was still given and the spot anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's how uncontroversial the score was yeah. and how no. balanced it was. I do have one big question though. Like, what has to happen? What strange cosmic mix of events and planets aligning I know where you're going. has to occur for Paulo Dybala? to feature in this Argentina team because why, why, it seems so far-fetched. I, I don't understand why. But, I mean, but then why is he in the squad? Like? No, exactly. That's what I'm <laughs> well, uh, I will tell you that's something. Very, that's the question, perhaps. Yeah. I will tell you something, though. Uh, you know that Di Maria has a knock after this mm-hmm. this uh, last Poland game. Uh, Scaloni said so. Apparently he has a... I mean, he doesn't have an injury, but it's still a knock. And you have that game that is going to be played like three games from uh, the, the Poland game. So you don't have a lot of days before he recovers, then there are two options. Either he goes with what he, he wants during that game and he sends Paredes in when we play with a 4-4-2, which is a very viable option, mm-hmm. or you put Dybala in. That's a great opportunity for Dybala to... I'll go for Paredes. To leave Dybala nice and... <laughs> I mean, nice and tranquilo on the bench. I mean, fun. weren't you asking for him like no, 10 seconds wa- ago? I don't want him in. I'm just oh, wondering what what would have to happen <laughs> for him to have a chance. So. I mean, this Di Maria getting a knock. Uh, sorry, Di Maria getting a knock. That's so unfair. I think <laughs> Messi would also have to go down. Perez would also have to go down. Julian would have to go down. At <laughs> least five people like just going down with the flu. Yeah, <laughs> maybe get a no. Be an impact sub in this scenario. I mean, I I, 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 I get think the... Lisandro Martinez has got more chance of starting on the left wing. <laughs> 
Very possible. I mean, I have the, the slight sense that you don't really rate Paolo Di Valo that highly. It's, it's, not it's a good enough to say. It just doesn't seem to have any anything to do in this team. Yeah. That's it's, the thing. It's, it's not that we don't it's rate just, him as a player, yeah. right? If, I, I think I said at the start in, in, in June when all this, you know, the, the European transfer window was open and stuff, I said as a Man United fan, I'd have been delighted if we'd signed him on a free transfer. Mm. But we've watched his international career. Yeah. Like, at club level, he's tremendous. He does, he's never done anything for Argentina. Much like, I mean, as I always used to say, Carlos Tevez, who, who mm -hmm. would have people, fans around the world. Yeah, but Carlos, Carlos Tevez, Tevez has played so Why much more. Why is Messi starting ahead of yeah. Carlos Tevez? And I was like, seriously? Have you yeah, seen but Carlos there's, Tevez? A, there's a difference between that, which is that Carlos Tevez has been uh, making his way as a starter when he was a substitute for, like, three or four straight Argentina squads without deserving it. Mm. I mean, you saw that in 2006, in 2010, in the Copa America 2011, where he was basically, uh, put, he put himself in through political lobbying. You remember that? Mm. But Di Maria, sorry, Di Bala, he's only played like 15 or 20 minutes a game. I mean, how can you, you know, I've always been, uh, found it hard to, to see whether he was, he could do anything for the for the national team. He, if he if he was only playing, you know, little tips. The problem is he's just never taken those chances. Like done and, and, anything yeah. to merit it. Like look at Julian Alvarez. He's taken the chance. Yeah, he scored against Italy. I mean, there's already two 0 like nine and three 0 <laughs> Yeah, but no one gets steal chances, you know. And that was in. I mean, how many caps did he have before that point? Thirty. Thirty. Yeah. I mean, that's not a. I mean, thirty that's with 10, 15 minutes each. That's not a big number. I, I fear that discussing Paolo Di Bala in too much depth is going to distract us from far more relevant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Issues uh, when it comes to Argentina's World Cup chances because you know, he might very well not get on the pitch. Um, <laughs> Maybe a pop up just for the final score, a last minute free kick, and yeah, we'll all have to worship him. I, I, I did say before when the Poland lineups were announced, I did ask what Lisandro Martinez needed to do to pin down a starting mm. place. Mm. Otamendi and Romero were both much better against Poland, not that they actually had very much at all to do. I think I could have played at centre back and it would They crunched Lewandowski a couple of times. That was yeah. pretty good yeah. to see. Okay. Apart, from, <laughs> apart from obviously Poland could have then sued FIFA and Argentina would have been kicked out of the tournament for fielding a player who wasn't eligible to play for Argentina. But quality wise, I'm not sure. Certainly I could have played in goal yeah. and mm. it wouldn't have made the slightest bit of difference. Um, but. Yeah, I, I just, I, I kind of think, I, you know, you mentioned the, the set pieces and that that was probably going to be Poland's main threat and everything, mm. but I mean, even then, Martinez has supposedly won more aerial duels than anyone else in the Premier League this season, which is plainly yeah. ridiculous. I mean, um, it worked, just, so yeah. <laughs> Martinez will get his I'm, chance I'm, again. I'm going to be slightly nervous against well, them if they reach the quarter-final, if they reach the semi-final, which would be against Brazil, mm. possibly, or somebody else. I, 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 all I'm aware of is that Argentina-Brazil could be a semi-final. Yeah, yes. um, the thing is, you know, uh, I'd be a little bit nervous with that pairing. I'd the thing is, though, with the uh, with the World Cup being such a short term kind of tournament, and uh, with uh, his uh, usual starting lineup that when you can read by heart, yeah. completely dismantled by the Lochoso situation and a couple you know players with niggling injuries. It now feels like Scaloni will probably feel the starting lineup that's completely different from the from the previous one mm -hmm. for each game, depending on their opponents. And uh, for each of these games, he has made five changes, which is you know kind of close to his 
average throughout his, his entire Argentina tenure. Yeah. So, I think I read in all of his four years in charge, yeah. he's repeated the same team in two games once. Yeah. In like 60 games or whatever. And Which I is a point that we probably didn't make enough of in our preview episode when mm-hmm. we were saying, you know, you can predict the Argentina 11. It turns out you actually can't and we were just... <laughs> we were trying no, to... Yeah, but he was but saying that. It goes back to what, what I mentioned before, like the overall functioning is so good that yeah. you can take two yeah, players yeah. out, bring two in. And they're all players that they just slot in, like the system mm. or whatever. I don't know if even our system's the right word because, you know, Scaloni's not a tactical genius or anything but <laughs> he gets his players and just puts them in the right place in the pitch yeah. yes. the team is yeah. like a structure so, in which you simple can simple football change players like but it. the idea yes. remains yeah, yeah. Uh, and still I mean even when you when you were you know considering the fact that you could say a southern night on by heart you can miss a couple of players due to you know uh, situations that you can't control uh, such as for example that suspension for the game against Brazil or injuries but you can still, you know, tell that uh, lineup by heart, even if it didn't, you know, materialize a lot of times, uh, like in actual in actual terms. You, you you still thought of a specific Argentina lineup when you when you thought of Scaloni's Argentina. Now that has been blown blown over because of uh, once again situations you can control, injuries, uh, you know, players who are out of form, out of physical form. Uh, but I feel. Pretty, pretty, you know, um, comfortable in the sense of what we've been speaking before. You know, the fact that you can still have uh, several players that can do a job, and several players who can still, you know, make those sorts, those sort of connections between the 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 stalwarts of the squad, and they can still deliver. Like so, like what we've said before, you know, McAllister, Enzo Fernandez, even Julian to an extent, was played a lot of games, but and even Almada in the few minutes that he got I mean he, he almost got an assist for, for Terry Fico in those mm-hmm. final minutes against uh, Poland so against Poland which as Dan mentioned earlier is the only match that they played kind of something like how they wanted to play for the full 90 minutes hmm. there were 23 shots 12 shots on target this is just for Argentina but Poland had 4 shots and none on target to get that one uh, 73% possession Obviously, it's nice to have a very, very comfortable 2-0 win, but could they be a little bit sharper in the box? Hmm. I mean, it's always useful like, to put more more chances away. Um, you know, of course, one of those was a penalty, which yeah, in other circumstances could have um, could have gone very wrong um, after seeing it saved. Uh, but, you know, it's always got to be encouraging because um, I didn't see Argentina either just... You know, but out of those 23 shots, I think very few of them were just effort, efforts from distance, which really had no chance of hitting the target and were just really a waste of um, a waste of effort. Like most of those 23 were in or at least around the box mm-hmm. and with an eye to uh, scoring Sam showing me a graphic. Where they were all taken from. Only five, all inside, only five outside the box. Yeah, there, yeah. there were two from like 25 yards. One from the edge of the D, which must have been a free kick, yeah. and then everything else is inside the box, pretty much. So yeah, wow. uh, so they get yeah, they get in, um, getting in the box. Obviously, that graphic doesn't tell the whole story because there were so many Poland players in the mm-hmm. box that a lot of them, you know, obviously got deflected. And or, one hell of a goalkeeper like Bochic Chesney as well. Oh, he's, he's been out of out of this world this tournament. Really, mm-hmm. um, 
really very impressive. It was the first goals he conceded, right, in the second half against yeah. Argentina after keeping a clean sheet for 220, 230 minutes, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, obviously, if you can score more of your chances, you've got a much better chance of winning. But I don't think it's something that will play in Argentina's mind. So no, if the chances come, someone's going to put one away. Um, and yeah. it seems to be enough at the moment. I feel like it did against Saudi Arabia. I mean, yes. But then that was more the offside flag that. Yeah, but I mean, when you, when you score four goals and only one of them gets on the score mm. sheet, it felt like in the second half that did their heads in. Yeah. While uh, in this game against Poland, the Messi missed the penalty and uh, that didn't change their approach at all in the sense but that. On the contrary, it was like. Yeah, as soon as the second half started, they scored, uh, they scored the first goal. Like uh, that also showed a lot of growth, like mentally for for the players, you know, for them to, even when when they were ahead and they lost their heads despite uh, being one nil one nil up in that game, and in the space of two games they were you know, cool and calm and collected after missing a penalty and being nil nil after you know swarming the box, that yeah. speaks very well. For the other thing I guess is, is that in previous World Cup group stages we've had, you know especially in the last two we've been thinking well you know this clearly is a team that's relying far too much on Lionel Messi I don't think any of us are going to be surprised given what we've been saying for the last year and a half two years three years um, that that's not the case anymore hmm. uh, because this is clearly a team who as Dan has said have come together and are functioning really well as a unit and Messi is kind of the icing on the cake but to see, I think Argentina scored five goals, mm -hmm. right? Messi got two, and the other three have all been... So five goals from four different goal scorers. Um, mm -hmm. Enzo Fernandez has two, two assists as well. Julian Alvarez has an assist, I think. Mm, Nahue Molina has an assist. Messi, Messi has an assist. Yeah. Messi has um, an assist. It, it's nice, it's you know, spreading it around. Like they, could be, yeah. they could have scored a couple more goals, sure, but also they are... Everybody's doing their thing, rather than yeah. like five goals and four of them have been scored by Messi. And the other one was bundled in from a penalty at the outside or something. That would be a, perhaps a little bit more concerning. Yeah. Um, I mean, just our Spain, you know, going out and scoring seven in one match doesn't necessarily guarantee you um, a smooth ride for, for the rest of the World Cup. Yeah, no, but it does give you an advantage, does it? Of course, it gives you an advantage. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's how they wouldn't. Better to spread them out, you know. <laughs> seven in, you know, one every game would probably do you, uh, do you better <laughs> in the long run. In fact, you have two, the two situations. Mexico, the team didn't. Couldn't find a way until Messi scored uh, from outside the box. And in, against Poland, it was the other way around because Messi missing the penalty, perhaps he could have felt that and, and, and the team went in to rescue him. So yeah. it's like we have yeah. two. Yes. In yeah. fact, you, you could argue that we saw the best version of Messi after he missed that penalty, even if he probably could have passed a couple of times when he shot. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but yeah, he it was, it was, it was pretty determined after that. Yeah, there was a good quote from Angel Di Maria after the Messi game, uh, sorry, after the Mexico game, I should mm -hmm. say, uh, about Messi. Um, obviously, Di Maria was, was the player who played the ball in for Messi for the opening goal. And he said to him that, like, a minute before that goal, Messi had wandered over to him and said, Angel, look, every time we have the ball and, and you're in that kind of position, they're dropping off to the edge of the box. I'm going to hang back a bit, you get me the ball just in front of the D, and I'm going to have time to hit it. And a minute later... <laughs> Back yeah, that, and that's also what pretty much happened against Poland. Mm. Something that Scaloni also alluded to in his conference, you know, the fact that they, they defended so deep that they left the edge of the box unmarked. Yeah. And that's how McAllister came in and scored the first one. Yeah, um, 
it, it's it's encouraging that I mean, a, obviously that, that Scaloni has, uh, spots these things from the sideline, mm-hmm. you know, as you'd expect any top manager to. But clearly, <laughs> the fact that Argentina have a player on the pitch, one player perhaps they, they have others as well. In this case, obviously Messi's the best in the world at doing it. Mm. <laughs> Who can spot these things in real time when they're happening on the pitch in front of him and go to his teammates and say, "Just give me the ball in this position," instead of hanging onto it for a split second and just pass it straight to him, uh, is is a, is a strength. It's you know another uh, and another thing that, that you get with that experience, I guess, which is why, although the average age maybe isn't the lowest, it is useful to have players like. Not the only reason it's useful to have players like Messi, obviously, but also <laughs> that, it, it's something that Di Maria, that Otamendi, in in different ways and in different areas of the pitch, can bring to the game. Because um, you know I made the point before that Otamendi might not necessarily be one of the best two centre backs in this squad. But his experience. But it's been one of the best centre backs in this whole World Cup, though. So far, yeah, yeah, and he's having a great season with Benfica, as, as, as I said. Yeah. I'm just, you know, personally, and I am absolutely biased. <laughs> I'd rather have either Otamendi and Lisandro or Romero and Lisandro. But you know, Otamendi brings that experience as well in, in his own way, and, and has definitely, as I said a couple of weeks ago when we last recorded, it's it's very clear if you listen to him talk that that. He's learnt a lot from that, yeah. even though he's maybe never been the quickest defender. He's never been the most technically astute. Um, he has been to change into the from centre back to first centre back to second one. Yeah, and then again, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. two two profiles, both profiles, and, and at least so far he's he's managing them well. Yeah, uh, we're going to take a half time break now. We're going to refill our glasses, and we'll be back in a minute. So mm-hmm. don't go away. Santi have been um, arguing about some match prediction things that I, wasn't, I was only half listening to and I'm sure I wouldn't understand it anyway. Um, if you can hear a slight difference in sound quality in this half, it's because we've opened the windows because it was getting a little bit stuffy in here with five of us sitting around quite a small table. Yes. And I'm going to begin the second half with a very quick apology. We won't talk about it for ages and ages, um, but we did discuss two weeks ago the fact that Thiago Almada had just been called into the squad. And I was reading something earlier today that reminded me of something I had completely forgotten, which is that he does have an open um, accusation of sexual assault against him, which is uh, problematic. Uh, He was one of the players involved in the Belisarsfield party that I vaguely remember we talked about Mm. a year or two ago. Yeah, Um, I have a feeling it was close at one point and now it's possibly been reopened because I can't imagine he would have got the move to MLS. There's there's been something in the news, the reason I read something today is that the the woman who's making the accusation has essentially had had a letter sent to the Argentina camp at the World Cup saying Mm -hmm. that she wants him to be expelled from the squad yeah. uh, I think and FIFA uh, should kick him out of the tournament and I, you know, I entirely agree with that he shouldn't have been called up there were other players apparently who were not allowed into Quata because of various accusations mm. against them um, and I find it surprising and a little bit disappointing on a personal level in Scaloni and the rest of the technical team mm. that he got the call up under those circumstances 
Um, I just thought that, given, especially given some of the stuff I've said this year about Cristiano Ronaldo and about Sebastián Villa, it would be a little bit hypocritical if I left that and didn't say anything. Um, I yeah. did not. Uh, I'd completely, totally forgotten that it happened uh, when we talked about it. They might have had a problem, which I don't know whether they caused. No, they were fake. Yeah. They were oh, fake. fake. Okay. It was. It was fake. But um, I mean, strike this from the from the podcast if it, if I'm wrong. Will not be happening, Sam. Because <laughs> okay. I don't. You're on the record now. Oh, Sam does okay, not edit. Because, I mean, I'm if, gonna. If you're about to say anything that you're not happy to be broadcast. Just don't say it. Uh, if okay, you prefer to okay. stay off the record, then keep it okay, off the record. Okay, okay, That's okay. not to say that Sandy's going to say anything that will get him in trouble, of course. But no, 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 no. I'm not going to get in trouble if I <laughs> say this, but I'm, I'm afraid if I, if I happen to have some wrong information, which in that case, uh, don't say it. Yeah, as a journalist, that's I, I want, I want, I don't want that. Yeah. Um, obviously, the group stage is not completely over yet, but I do feel like we should sort of discuss briefly the other South American teams mm-hmm. in the tournament. Given that, obviously, we followed the qualifying process so closely and we yeah. watched the Copa America, so we have a, a you know, better idea of the other South American sides than most other English language podcasts you'll listen to, even if not necessarily as good an overview as, say, the South American football show does. Um, quite annoyingly, there are only four of them there, because, of course, Peru lost their qualifier to uh, the player against Australia. Australia, who Argentina are going to be playing against in the next round. Um, Argentina Peru would have been a hell of a game for the last six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been glorious. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It would have been great fun. A um, not, that, uh, not that Australia won't be, of course. A rematch of 1978. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it looks to me, sticking my neck out with one day left of the group stage, uh, as if we're going to have, we being South Americans in general, are going to have a 50-50 hit rate in terms of getting out the group. Argentina have already got out the group. Ecuador have already been eliminated from Group A, as we will talk about in a minute with Remy when we uh, talk about the Netherlands. Brazil are Free. through already. Mm-hmm. Um, they have well, they haven't yet completely guaranteed top place in Group G. They could still be denied that uh, if they Cameroon, were to lose they tomorrow to Cameroon them. and Switzerland thrash Serbia. Yeah. No, not that much of a thrashing actually. Then unless the the Brazil gets a starting lineup. Very, very. Uh, no, Brazil won two 0 or one 0 They don't have to throw. No, they, they, yes, they've so got a goal difference of three. Switzerland's is currently zero. So in fact, yeah. if Switzerland, if Brazil were to lose and Switzerland win by two, two goals, goals, yeah, then that goals. draws it level potentially on goal score. So yeah, it's not that that outlandish. Um, but Brazil are probably going to win Group G, uh, and in Group H, Uruguay aren't out yet. But as the press here put it, ahead of Argentina's second group game. The knockout stages have already begun for them uh, because they play Ghana tomorrow and they've got to win it. They're currently bottom of Group H, uh, level on, on one point with South Korea. Portugal have six points and are through. Ghana have three points. Haven't scored yet. Nice easy match for Ghana, uh, for Uruguay. No bad blood there, no, um, no. lust for, <laughs> for putting Uruguayan heads, especially Luis, Luis Suarez is on a spike. No, indeed. I'm really looking forward to that game. I think it's yeah. good. Especially after Luis Suarez earlier today in his press conference said that he didn't have anything to apologise for. He said, yeah. And he's right. He's right. Bairn's fault for missing the penalty. Azamanajan completely fucked that penalty. He did. But also, I can entirely understand the Ghanaian point of view. And... I mean, I mean, oh yeah! If, you're, if you are Ghanaian, you have You're within your right to be aggrieved by what happened. But if you're a neutral, you can't possibly say that Suarez cheated because he was punished for it. 
He's punished for it. I think there's a little bit of um, bit of tactics behind Suarez's yeah. thing as well. Like, because if it, he knows that if it, everyone on the Ghana team just goes out to kick him and yeah. and get their revenge, it's going to be in Uruguay's best interest. Because mm-hmm. Suarez is probably the most use he can do for Uruguay now. <laughs> Let's be honest, is <laughs> as a punch bag to uh, <laughs> free kicks and red cards. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Not um, you know. I really hope he starts. I really hope Pelistri and De Arraqueta start because the fact they've played so few yeah, minutes in this World Cruz. Cup is an absolute crime. Oh, I don't mm. care about De La Cruz. Um, <laughs> but those two, Pelistri and De Arraqueta, like, I mean, it's a crime against football. That's vintage, vintage Tavares to not start De Arraqueta in yeah. any game. He lives on, even though he's not dead, of course. <laughs> the best players of the winner of the Copa Libertadores are there. Arraqueta and Gabigol are in Brazil still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pedro is though. Yes, okay. He, he, he was better at the Copa Talking about yeah. Uruguay, uh, first of all, though, obviously, as Andres mentioned, uh, they haven't yet to score a goal. They've lost 2 0 to Portugal. Uh, they hit the post a lot there. In their second match, and in their first match, they drew 0 0 with South Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I saw tiny bits of the Portugal game. Um, but, I mean, the point that Santa you were making while the microphone was switched off during the break was. They've played since Alonso took over mm-hmm. such a more expansive style than they were under Tavares, and now they've actually got to the World Cup, and he's just gone right. Okay, it's going to be Tavares ball again, everybody. Yeah, vintage Uruguay at a World Cup. Yeah, they've been a little yeah. bit unlucky, Any I must say. About why? Um, they hit the post twice against South Korea and against Portugal. They had at least three really good chances, mm-hmm. like Bintangur's. Maradona-esque scything through the middle of uh, the Portugal defence before absolutely Yeah, but the, the only uh, one the to, to look for a result after they went down against Portugal. I mean, the Bendecourt one... Yeah, but that, but, that was a, but that wasn't... That was a one-off look, like, complete, yeah. A unicorn. Um, but I absolutely agree. Um, they've pretty much gifted almost this entire group stage by playing very negative men behind the ball. And they have the players to play proper football. Yeah, um, they have midfielders for once. Yeah, and hopefully it's not too late for him because, you know, we always, I don't know if Uruguay always hope for the best for Argentina, but I think Argentines tend to wish Uruguay well if they're yeah, not playing th- each other. It's a one-sided it's relationship. Side. I don't think it's entirely mutual. That, yeah. but, uh, no. It's certainly true that there is more. Oh, the Argentine side, yeah. Um, a bit like the big brother, little brother syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very one-sided, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll be, when they're absolutely... Deadlocked level on World Cups and Copas America. I've always thought it's a little bit patronising. You know, <laughs> Argentina's got like fifteen times the population as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's just it's. I, I like seeing Uruguay do well, obviously, yeah. as a massive World Cup history nerd, apart from anything else. Um, but it's just been a. It's a little bit baffling watching them play like that. As Ecuador did in their last game, after playing fantastic football the first two games, they just yeah. went pure fireable. Mm-hmm. And and they, paid the price basically. Yeah, they played like uh, they only needed a draw to advance. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. They played like Arsenal de Sarandim, Serga, two thousand thirteen. Indeed. Yeah. And yeah, that's exactly what it was. Finally, Alfaro, they came Alfaro again yeah. after. He couldn't doing really well. We have to, you know, we have to give Alfaro credit. He's done fantastic yeah. to bring all this really exciting young generation of Ecuador players into the team and I'm sure in four Weekend years they're going to rock it again I think I'm really looking forward to that because they're going to be more mature more more battle hardened mm-hmm. uh, possibly with a more exciting coach but possibly with an Alfaro who stayed there and learned his lesson That's, yeah probably you, you could probably seen. you know see some Ecuador, Ecuador players playing in you know 
big, big European teams as well by the time 2026 comes. Yeah, it wouldn't be a surprise. And I think they're still strong at youth level as well. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. because of the pandemic, there hasn't been a whole lot of youth football being played over the last uh, yeah. two, yeah. three years or so. So, so South American level, the mental value is... is oh, yeah, it's just no, there. That main line to the, the national team at the moment, yeah, isn't it? Indeed, Fantastic yeah. work. I mean, Moisés Caicedo is pretty much guaranteed to be playing mm. for a super club in the next yeah. 18 months. You Absolutely. Think. And Piero Incabia, possibly... Yeah. Both the funniest name and one of the revelations of this World Cup. Yeah. Pero Tupinian as well, which also is one it's of quite the a funny name. Yes, <laughs> they've got a good mix of funny names and very really good players. Yeah. So we're, I think we're all a bit upset. Angelo Preciado. Angelo Preciado. And Jorge Vergasco is also yeah. Who met Jorge Vergasco? Ener, Ener Valencia, who no one ever hears of between World Cups, but he's become very good. And the other, yeah, great South, the other South American nation that I'm afraid we have to talk about, even though we'd rather not, of Brazil, who have won both of their um, matches without conceding any goals. Standard uh, Brazil for group stages. 1 0 and 2 0, I think. Yeah. 2 0 and 1 0. Sofa Sports just done something. Can we talk about strange. how great Diego Silva has been at this World Cup? I mean, yeah. Being in that Brazil defence, I don't think he's been particularly exerted, right? Um, they usually yeah, but I mean, it's, it's a not a great Brazil defense. I mean, when you look at uh, you know, especially the right, the, the right and left back, the fullbacks. But um, when he has he has had to come up against you know big strikers mm. like uh, Seferovic and Mitrovic, and he has done yeah. superbly to not to know them. Yeah, especially with um, Dide just stacking strikers. I think for that game against um, Serbia, they he almost pulled out the old WM. Like flat, a flat line of five yeah. forwards. I um, mean, he, he has to do that because he has no fullbacks. But uh, yeah, it's, yeah, fewer now because two of them have um, already fallen by the wayside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder. Casimiro in deep midfield and Lucas Paqueta nominally alongside him. He's really a number ten. Rafinha, yeah. Neymar, Vinicius Junior, Hichalison. Yeah, I, I would have, <laughs> I would include uh, Paqueta among the forwards. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, yeah. yeah, I mean that's pro- basically a WM. Mm-hmm. I wonder. How much Neymar again getting injured in the World Cup? <laughs> because he's, you know, they have a lot well, of really good players, but he's Neymar. All right, hmm? They responded okay to it. They looked so a little far. bit flat. They, they looked a bit flat against um, Switzerland. Against Switzerland, yeah. Um, Switzerland always makes you look flat, do they? True, true. Um, but I think they're missing when yeah, they get to the later stages. Comparison. <laughs> uh, but the Brazilian Di Maria. You've been to Rios? Sam, it's all hills. Yeah, that's true. It's all yeah. downhill. It's from not here. Alps, but lots of sejos. Uh, it's all downhill from here, though. More mojos. Uh, do they need to put Anthony? Maybe. I'm just saying the name. Check another striker. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Why not. Rafinha not hasn't been. Rafinha hasn't been, you know, at his best mm. probably at this World Cup. Mm. Uh, probably Anthony or even Martinelli could be a little bit more, you know. With uh, with some X factor in them, they have got so many options. It's yeah. just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, standard can... Brazil, I think, so far, just breeze through the group stage and the tournament only really begins for them. Yeah. In the they they haven't even started. No, I think that they're expecting Neymar to be okay for the knockout stage. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. And uh, you're... the latest on that is, but they didn't yeah. seem particularly perturbed by it. They could be Brazil uh, Uruguay. That would be a that that would involve Uruguay or getting through. That's why I said could, yeah. and not will be. No, sure. Yes, but, I mean, um, that, that that would be 
probably the funniest of all ways of Brazil potentially getting knocked out. That would be in a some hell ways, of a game. In some ways as well, although the, by far the most likely outcome of that is going to be like a 3-0 Brazil win. It's it also, can, it it's might also not the be, most yeah. realistic way for Brazil to get knocked out in the round of 16. <laughs> More yes. likely they'll get to the quarterfinal and get knocked out by somebody European. Uh, Do they though? I mean, they look to have a yeah. pretty, pretty yeah. straightforward path to the yeah. semi-finals if they finish first. I mean, I'm just because looking they at have, the defense and thinking... They have Uruguay or Ghana and then Japan or Croatia in the quarters. Okay, Marquinhos is, is a few years younger than I thought he was, but Thiago Silva's... <laughs> yeah, but he's been great! Thiago Silva's six months younger than me. <laughs> Alexandro's 31. The other bloke is... Dan- uh, no, uh, Daniel. Okay, the other bloke's 25. 24. 24. Ed Emilito. I was looking at the, the back four that started oh, right. against Switzerland. Yeah, um, yeah I, mm, I don't know. I mean, you, you, could, have beat, you could beat them by hoofing, one bo- hoofing a couple of balls to the, to the full-backs and trying to cross from there. Uh, you could you could use that liability like Argentina did in the Copa America final. And I was going to say that in a semi-final against them, from Argentina's point of view, I wouldn't be afraid. No, not at all. No, 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 no. no. Bring them on. Bring them on. But uh, what I meant is that, I mean, kind of innocent man away to Argentina. Sorry. I'm very sorry. I don't want to be cocky. (laughs) I really don't because after we got beat by Saudi Arabia, I'm not in any position to be cocky. uh, For those who can't see this, which of course is everybody listening to it, uh, Santi was looking at Remy when he said that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it feels like uh, Argentina and Brazil are not going to have an easier to the semi-finals on paper than the one they could have if Brazil also finishes first in the group. That's a very nice segue into the next thing I was going to say, uh, which is to bring in what we all warned you was going to happen. Remy's going to tell us about the Netherlands. Um, and Ooh. as I've sort of said and, and mentioned a couple of times already in this podcast, I've not been paying as much attention to this World Cup as I would have been to any other World Cup held in almost any other country. Um, I have caught bits and pieces of the Netherlands so far, but from what I've caught and from what I've read, um, I don't think they're playing vintage Van Gaal ball, exactly. Um, But they're getting the job done. Yeah, I think when you said, well, I haven't been paying much attention to this World Cup, I think that you could be Dutch saying that. It goes, uh, just uh, a thing I read today, is that interest in the Netherlands for this particular for this World Cup is particularly low? Viewing ratings are down twenty percent compared to uh, the last World Cup we participated, which uh, for uh, everybody's listening wasn't uh, Russia twenty eighteen because we didn't qualify for that World Cup, uh, but Brazil twenty fourteen. Um, and uh, to be honest, uh, Holland's game, I will say Holland, not the Netherlands, just for the sake of the listeners as well. You can uh, send complaints to the Dutch Football uh, Association. Remy works for the Belgian embassy for some reason. Uh, I used to, I used to. I'm not anymore, so I can can speak freely now. I can speak freely now. I thought it might be professional trolling. Yeah, no, no, no. You can work for us as long as you always call them Holland. No, it's... uh, (laughs) No, it has been rather underwhelming uh, watching uh, our national team play. But then again, expectations were quite low. I mean, if you compare this side to the side that uh, faced Argentina in the 2014 World Cup, we don't have uh, a Sni- uh, we don't have a Snyder, a Van Persie, a Robin. Uh, yeah, but uh, Gakpo. But, but we have a Gakpo. That's one of the puzzles. We have a Gakpo who's absolutely on fire. Uh, young talent from PSV, PSV Youth Academy, actually. 
who's been scoring in every match in this group phase. Yes, one every match. So it's very consistent. Um, and another thing that the Dutch have going for them is, although we don't produce that many chances, opportunities on goal, I mean, you, you talked about Argentina like having 23 uh, shots on target, something like that. Holland get, if they're lucky, they get five during a match. But, but one of them gets in. I mean, that's, uh, we don't need that many chances to score a goal. Mm. Th thanks to it that was goal. against Poland, a team which was 10 men in the box, perhaps. Uh, so. Yeah, but but I've been, I have to say I, I've watched of course I've watched the three uh, matches in the group stage of the Netherlands. Uh, wasn't really impressed uh, with our midfield, who's which is really struggling to win yeah. any duels to create chances. Actually, we haven't been playing that much, like trying to have the ball, having a lot of possession, creating opportunities. Not at all. It's not creative. Actually, it's rather boring to watch this, mm -hmm. uh, this uh, yeah. national team play. I'm not getting excited at all. I wonder whether, as um, th uh, this is me speaking as, as a Manchester United fan who had the benefit <laughs> of seeing uh, Louis van Gaal, obviously, 2014, 15, I can't remember how many, yeah. how many it was just that season, wasn't it, that he lasted? 15-16. Uh, he won the FA Cup. Yeah, 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 the FA Cup wins. The FA Cup was 2016 and then he got fired right after winning it. Cause and, right, I will say, big fan of Louis Vacal. I'm a big fan, in particular, of uh, his personal story. And, oh, yeah. You know, everything that's led him to this World Cup, in particular, and the circumstances he's there, and of the fact that he's one of the few people who's there and isn't going to shut up and play nice about the hosts and, and all the rest of it, or indeed about anything or anybody else in his life. Um, but I kind of get the, the sense that he might have sort of disappeared up his own ass a bit over the course of his couple of decades in the game, right? Because if you compare the football that even that United played when he took over, which shockingly was already eight years ago somehow, um, with the football that his teams were playing even just 10 years before that, never mind 18, 19 years before that when Ajax won the Champions League, it, it's much more like you can see what the end game is, you could always see that if United signed a couple of players and, and got to that point, they were going to be playing fantastic stuff, which was going to be telepathic communication between the players, bang, 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 you can't do anything about it, the clockwork orange stereotype. Um, and yet, it never did get there, and it seems like a particularly dangerous game to play with a national team. But I mean, that's, you don't get that long with the players, you've but, got seven but, matches if you're lucky in a, in a major tournament. But that's always been the criticism of Van Gaal, right? Yeah. I remember even you know when he was in Barcelona, all of these ideas, and he ended up playing what Riquelme on the left wing, mm -hmm. and got slaughtered for it all. I mean, it, it often seems throughout Van Gaal's career that what is in his head does not always compute uh, <laughs> kind of what is in the bounds of reality. But, but I wonder, he, he's, he's very emblematic of, like, of the Dutch tradition in, in, mm. in terms of tactics and managers in, in that respect and the thinking about the game side of things. So I wonder whether it's like, this is also... It's like Peronism almost, like the system first <laughs> and, uh, and the man afterwards. Whether, whether, whether in the Netherlands he gets the same criticism leveled at him or, or whether it's a bit more... I think... Um, what he has in mind for the Dutch team is rather parsimonious. He's not trying to achieve a beautiful game at all. He's no. rather unapologetic about it. I mean, we're here to win. He actually says, before the World Cup started, he said that, uh, in uh, Dutch English, Dunglish, uh, we can come and end. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We can get, we can, and well, in more recent interviews, I mean, 
we're here to get to the final. I mean, oh. that's that's the goal. <laughs> and it doesn't really matter the way they get that there. And he's well, very yeah. unapologetic, but we haven't figured out our team yet. We're still <laughs> trying. He's, he's improvising as we go. Also, taking this That's some Sam Paoli type stuff. Well, no, but, no, but it doesn't sound <laughs> Scaloni-like either. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, except, but except Scaloni well, that was what I was going to say. He said, I didn't, I didn't select the best Dutch players. Yeah, I, I select the, 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 the players that I think fit, fit best mm. in a team. Yeah. Mm. And that also includes, for example, uh, fielding uh, a keeper, a goalkeeper, who has never played for the national team mm. yeah. Oh, yeah. before this World Cup. I and mean, has yeah. played fewer club matches than Sergio Romero or something. So, so wow. he's, he's I mean, he is willing to take risks. Uh, well, in this group stage and with the opponents, I think he had some some liberty to do to do that as well. Yeah, because um, he, he is who he is. Exactly. And also... And I mean, yeah, quite a kind group, to be fair. Yeah. Group A yeah. out of the eight groups was probably yeah, but they still yeah, it's it's fairly uh, yeah, but they still kind suffered of. in a couple of games yeah yeah forgot. also because forgot. like our supposed star players like uh, Memphis Depay and Frankie De Jong aren't in their greatest form as well mm. so the Van Gaal and, and the Dutch team and John they are really struggling to to find that to find their way and they're still improvising uh, as we go so Van Gaal is I mean he's not like oh yeah I will just have this and then we'll field this team no matter what the opponent. No, mm. it's like adapting the team for every uh, opponent. And he m- might make the right mm. choice, might make the wrong choices, but he, he's not that dogmatic. I think mm. as uh, as he, he might use he might used to be like I'm working towards the system and everything's going to be work out fine. No, not that. I I don't get that impression uh, this World Cup because he really knows he has rather limited resources compared to the t- mm. 2010 uh, t- team or 2014 uh, team. And I feel like kind of looking, obviously, from way outside because um, you know, between Argentina and and the Netherlands, there are several thousand miles and a huge language barrier. I feel like he does have a rapport with like the Dutch people and this team. Like they do, they respect him. They'll listen to him. They're not gonna because we always say you know the the Dutch people's biggest enemy when it comes to World Cups usually themselves because. They end up fighting in the middle of the tournament and everything goes to shit and there's nothing collapses. going and on at all. At least now it seems like at least they might not be playing the most exciting football, but everyone's just it's looking towards page. that goal, yeah. yeah. And Fakal's relation with the press has always been very complicated and, and, mm. and he hasn't changed in that sense. I mean, no, no, he's not gonna change he's, that. because he's been criticized for yeah. like the way that the, the national team plays. Like have we been waiting eight years to, to see this kind of play? Mm. And he will straight out Call bullshit on, yeah. on the report. It's like, hey, where to win? And I don't agree with your analysis. He, he doesn't take. He, I mean, he. If you hear Van Gaal talking, it's like he ha, he has this like impunity. It's like mm, yeah. he can get away yeah. with everything. Expectations are low this World mm. Cup. I think. I, I speak for myself this time. I mean, <laughs> if we can get to the quarterfinals, if we would be able to beat Argentina, which is a big if. Mm. I mean, we'd be over the moon. It's yeah. not, think, not a match I'm particularly looking forward to. I must say, to Remy, I think a little bit of that is because you're living so far away. I feel very similarly about England. Uh, zero expectations, just watch every game. If I was living in England, in that bubble, maybe mm. it would be a little bit different. I think that does yeah. make an impact. Yeah. But, but, but I get what you're saying. But, but especially this World Cup, where there yeah. is so little, uh, so few expectations, yeah. so little enthusiasm in the Netherlands and in some other Euro- other European countries as well, uh, because of well, human rights issues. I mean, it's it's as if, well, we're, we're here, we're to, and, and Fakal is like the only one, yeah, 
we're here to get to the final. And, and the rest is like, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see about it. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I mean, we got quite lucky against the Equalor match. I think that that was yeah. the toughest match uh, in the group. That was a that great game. Had. Really, uh, really and, intense. Uh. Yeah, and, and the one coming against Senegal also, I think. Hmm? The first half against Senegal was also tough. yeah, we're struggling, yeah, struggle. yeah. really struggling. It really it took a deep pass from uh, Frankie De Jong to to reach uh, Gapo to, mm-hmm. to to have yeah, uh, and the, the first goal. And a pretty big mistake from Mendy as well. Yeah, yeah. so I mean we haven't been playing well, but the, the results have been consistent. Uh, it's been boring. I mean <laughs> the general the general opinion in the Dutch press for now. Okay, now the World Cup has really started. I mean whenever the Dutch team qualifies for the World Cup, which isn't. Not only in Dutch. Always that way. I mean, we lost out in quite a few World Cups in history. But when we participate, it's a given we get through the group stage, no matter how yeah. difficult the group. It's 100%. Yeah. Now we're facing uh, United States, uh, and if we'll be able to win, I'm just going to hope we will. Then Argentina, but I think we're going to have a really, really hard time against. Mm-hmm. against. I don't think... Our, our main problem and uh, is our defense. And our defense is not aggressive enough. I've seen the matches against uh, all the group phase, and we just let them uh, shoot at the car, at our goal. Mm-hmm. There is there is yeah. an unfounded confidence <laughs> in our goalkeeper that he will keep any ball out. And to be honest, just about to ask about the defense. So to, to be honest, our goalkeeper hasn't made a mistake yet this World Cup, and he's huge. And he's two meters and two centimeters, wow. if I'm if I recall correctly. <laughs> yeah, um, he's huge. And, I mean, he conceded, uh, well, uh, one goal against Ecuador, which wasn't his fault, and he, well, the, the second goal that Ecuador made uh, was allowed, was, uh, was this allowed? Oh, that was, yeah. With really, really bad luck for Ecuador. Uh, but he hasn't made uh, a mistake yet. So, I, I'm confident, but I'm, I'm really a little bit surprised by the, the lack of interest of our defenders to actually <laughs> at least try to, to block the shots. Yeah. They're just letting them take shots, which I think you can maybe risk against a game like Ecuador from outside the box. But against Argentina, I wouldn't find that uh, yeah. I'm wholly comfortable. Uh, I feel like Argentina, you've got Messi, Enzo, Macalister. Yeah, so Lautaro hates it from just outside the D. Yeah, it's it's very risky. Of course, I trust that Van Gaal will 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 know how to to set up his defense playing playing Argentina. But the problem is that ideally you don't even want them to get those chances right outside the mm-hmm. box and the Dutch midfield has been really struggling losing a lot of personal uh, duels generally not being fit enough like uh, being very out of shape uh, in all the match even against uh, Qatar it, it really felt like okay we're just giving them the initiative and we trust that they won't yeah. score any goals almost as if your main man in central midfield has been riding the bench for most of the season so far yeah, it's uh, well. You know, I mean, uh, one of the he could have. I hear that he could have joined somebody back in June and been a regular first team starter, mm-hmm. and he's decided to do a Winston Bogard instead. So. <laughs> Don't know if it would have done his football any good though. No, yeah, well, I feel like there's a. I feel like there's a. When you took all the defense, I mean, another Dutchman yeah, hasn't done something that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, something right, that. Yeah. Uh, Draw, drew my attention is that on the first game, of course, you had um, the usual suspects, you know, Matthias Ligt, Will um, Berger, Van Dijk and Nathan Ake. Uh, but for the second game, probably because of his uh, ability with the ball in his feet, as I, as I assume at least, um, the Ligt was dropped in favour of Timber, yeah. who was probably uh, a defender who is a lot more confident to bring the ball out from the back, but it's probably li- a little bit less 
proficient at you know the basics of defending, which is probably one of the issues that you that you brought upon. And considering that uh, the Netherlands is a team that's not exactly very interested in you know, in bringing the ball out from the back and just uh, prefers to to wait it out and to give the initiative to the opponent, wouldn't the league be more you know uh, a better choice for that role? Considering that. Uh, you know, the, the defense is so bad at aerial duels and so bad at blocking all things that probably the Ligt is better at than Timber. Yeah, well, the problem is that the Ligt, uh, he didn't show it in that first match that he was mm, very yeah. good in his personal duels. I mean, I had a flashback to our match against uh, the, the Czech uh, Republic, oh, yeah. uh, where the Ligt uh, also made some tremendous errors. Uh, uh, so for me, it was like uh, yeah, deja vu. He has a little bit of lapses in con concentration. Exactly, uh, lapses which uh, maybe you can have in the group phase, but obviously in yeah. now we're getting to the knockout stages, you, you can't really afford. So, so I'm more worried about it. I mean, I'm not so much worried about Holland like, like scoring goals. I think we can, when we get the ball up front, we score. We're not that wasteful with chances like the way maybe Argentina is. But the problem is actually getting the, getting the, the ball there. It's like the midfield doesn't exist. It's like it goes from defense to was the only, the only I mean, the only great goal I saw from was was uh, the, the the young Di Pasongako. It was, the, was the, the first goal that we made against Senegal. Uh -huh. That was the only goal I was really impressed with. Uh, or the first one against Ecuador, which came five minutes in in, in the yeah. Clock. That was a great shot by uh, by Gakpo. Yeah, but it, but it felt like when that when that call came, I mean, the Netherlands could have probably you know keep going, score a couple more to stunt the Ecuadorians, but you let them grow in confidence, and by the end of the game, it was non-existent. It's almost like watching Argentina play at the start of the Copa, uh, the last Copa America. Like you get mm -hmm. ahead, and then you and then you're confident that it will be enough. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that that's why I, I think the match against the United States, because oh, before we can play Argentina, we have to beat the United States. I think will be a great test uh, for us. Uh, yeah. Like the United States being a very physical uh, team as well, there will be a big battle in the midfield. And let's see how how well the the, the midfield and the defend. Uh, I do up feel them. like you could have an advantage against the United States, which is that from what I've seen, uh, the United States are a team that's probably a little bit naive in the sense that their first halves are probably uh, generally really energetic, they always go for it, they're really intense, they go for every duel, they, go, they really go forward in numbers, and by the second half they, they're, you know, they run out of energy. Yeah, they're spent. Yeah, they're I've absolutely one, not good. I've and seen a couple of American fans hypothesize that this has a lot to do with the fact that uh, a lot of their big players are at European clubs now, which wasn't the mm -hmm. case a few years ago, but a lot of them are substitutes more often than starters at those clubs and so they they don't quite have the fitness to go the full 90 minutes yeah they get knackered after an hour and the ones that are, are you know have serious injury injury concerns yeah. the likes of Giovanni Reina for example has played has played some very very few minutes for the United States anyway moving on uh, we have been coming back down from a potential semi-final against Brazil <laughs> <laughs> to the <coughs> Netherlands and obviously I'm, I'm just going to remind you all again that we're not assuming that Argentina will get past Australia Remy isn't assuming that the Netherlands will get past the United States but we didn't have any Australians or any Americans uh, who were close at hand and could make it to dance this evening and who we knew uh, to record with so we apologise to a significant number of American listeners and of Australian listeners as I've already mentioned if you're a Patreon supporter you will be able to hear 
in the hours before the Australia match um, a bit of a preview with Aussie Dan, who does know about Argentine football and about Australian football. Yes, um, he's a real all-rounder, that guy. And as well as about Australian football, he also knows about soccer in Australia. Indeed. Aha, there we go. <laughs> a bit of a joke there for you about the codes. Buddy. Um, but now we will move on to listeners' questions, mm. I think. Oh, but before we do, I'm going to throw in a little stat that Tony, I was going to prompt Tony to give this to us because he was supposed to be joining in this recording, but he couldn't make it, and he chucked it in the WhatsApp group after the Saudi Arabia match, and I was astonished. It's a brilliant statistic, and it is that the Saudi Arabia match was the second time in World Cup history that Argentina had been ahead at half-time and lost the match, and the only previous time that's happened was the 1930 final, which just... Wow. Yes. Uh, had Argentina... That's such a good fact. I'm just wondering, had Argentina ever lost a World Cup match before against a non... UEFA and or non common world team. Yes. Cameroon. Cameroon nineteen ninety, of course. Mm. Yes. And but I apart from that one. Yeah, sure. that's that that was the first time they lost to a nation team. That's a fact. Right. But yeah. they had lost to Cameroon before. Um, anyway, moving on to listeners' questions. Liam Delaney, it's as if he's read our minds, says we need the return of Dan Colasimon for the last 16 showdown. Well, we were already talking to Dan. I woke him up at like 4 o'clock in the morning asking him um, on, I don't know, Wednesday. I mean, he was probably Next up, Wednesday he was probably up celebrating the, the qualification. I, I don't know. It was only today. Like, no. It would have no, been one hell, of a, one hell of a celebration. He's, already he's a family man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, he knows, he knows how Argentina Australia is going to turn out on Saturday. Which uh, is why we're more, asking. More than that. Um, yes, we're quietly confident that we will have an extra tomorrow yeah. night slash Sunday. It's an extra in Australia. Australia. We're going to be recording on Zoom, so it should be pretty quick for me yeah. to get online afterwards. I've already teed up the remaining handful extras that still need to be uploaded, and I've adjusted the episode numbers correctly when they're scheduled, uh, so that this one will be episode 188. Cracking. Uh, so there you go. You're going to have. By next Tuesday, there will be 190 uh, episodes of bonus content as well on, on our Patreon. So, Is that next Tuesday over, Australia time or next Tuesday Argentina time? Uh, Argentina time. <laughs> Argentina time. If you want to go over to patreon.com slash handapod and sign up, then you can get all of that. Um, and a couple of video episodes that I never got around to doing any more than as well. Uh, so get over there. Conor Gallagher says, two days rest for the Australia match. Thank you for um, reminding us of this, Colin, because this is something that both Scaloni and Australia's manager, whose name I can't remember... Graham Arnold. Thank you. Uh, I'm quite annoyed about. Uh, Connor says, how to handle the balance between rest slash rotation and building on the rhythm that's beginning to develop. I feel in some ways as if... Scaloni planned for this by changing his team so much. Yeah, and, and the aspect <laughs> that we've already talked about, about how you, you can't really quite pin down what the strongest team is because everybody can come mm. in and do a job sort of placed into their hands, right? Like I mean, it's going to hurt Australia more than Argentina because the sense I get, you know, without studying in exhaustive detail the the Australia team sheets like I do for Argentina, I get the sense that they have leaned on their top 11 or 13 or 14 guys a lot more than Argentina have. Mm. I mean, if you look at the Argentina team, you've got Dibu Martinez, who for two of the games at least is really three of the games because the two Saudi Arabia goals came so quickly. Yeah. Uh, 2.9 of the three games has had absolutely nothing to do. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got Messi, De Polo, not the Mendy. They're the only ones who have played all 270 minutes. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to be corrected, but off the top of my head, I think that's correct. That's kind of, yeah. 
I think many exceptions. Yeah. The fullbacks yeah. no, are basically, yeah. you don't really know like what's the difference between Tagliafico and Acuna or between Molina. Acuna's like, much better. Please, oh. come on. Let's not go there. Shirt off. Off. <laughs> on, on, <laughs> shirt off. Get your shirt off. If you're going to defend Tagliafico, on, 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 on the left. Tagliafico was all right in the debut. He was he's one a, of the better players. He's all right, he's all right. But Acuna gives they another both, dimension to this. They could yeah. both do a job, and I apologise yes. for saying that. But on, on the right... <laughs> you can't just throw I mean, a hive of bees into, uh, on, on the right, into this podcast with an Independiente and Racing fan. On the, right, <laughs> on the right, what's the difference between having Montiel or Molina at right back? You should have a good view, but Molina played a great game Mo- against... Mo- I feel like Molina... Uh, I feel like Molina is better going forward. Like he's uh, more bit, clinical I mean, than Montiel. I'd agree they're essentially if, if interchangeable. One them, if one of them gets injured, then you're not going to be throwing your hands up going, oh God, no, no I'm going to no. put the other one no. out. Like, no, it, it doesn't no. matter. It's the, yeah. They're the same. Uh, I think, yeah, I think the scheduling of this was ridiculous to have Argentina playing within I just don't understand three days of their last group game in England 5. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why there's no gap between the final day of group matches and obviously it's not like Brazil are going to have to turn around and play their round of yeah. 16 match on Saturday. No. I wish that was happening, but it's not. <laughs> it would yeah. be hilarious. But it's, you know, like, I don't understand why there isn't Saturday, no football, and then Sunday. The, the first day without football is going to be between the round of 16 and the quarter-final. And I think there's like two days or something, right? Yeah, yeah. I think two days for In fact, there will be six days rest if actually that. Well, I mean, in was, fairness, they... they yeah. Can't exactly play that two days after the second. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's kind of like a two-edged sword to to it because I mean you knew about what, you knew what the schedule was like with like six months in advance mm. because I mean you knew in April after the after the draw, but if you complained back then, you were assuming that you would go through. So right. it was. I mean, and when probably you could say that. Scaloni's timing was a little bit awkward and unfortunate because you, as I said before, you knew with so much anticipation what it would look like, but you weren't sure that you would, you know, progress from your group either. Mm. So I mean, it put him, it put him in a in an uncomfortable situation to, you know, say this at that time mm. when there was nothing nothing to do about it. But at the same time, you couldn't say it before. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not. Well, I, I hadn't even occurred to me that England have got so much more time off after their group matches. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's clearly hasn't been properly yeah. thought through. Obviously, it's partly a, re- a result of FIFA having to squeeze this whole thing into the middle of a season oh, and course. therefore doing it all very truncatedly and trying to squeeze the yeah. tournament as much as they can. But it was very avoidable as well. You just had to change one of the Group A, B... in the first place. But you just had to change one of the Group A, B last 16 games to Saturday. Yeah. And have the CD last 16 game on Sunday. Right. Looks it like a, a schedule made by Liga Profesional. <laughs> yeah, it's Tapia esque, definitely. Yeah. With the difference that this was known months ahead. Connor also says best Buenos Aires neighborhood to watch the match. Oof. I'm going to vote Saavedra, not just because I live there, but you have so few neighbors that they can't shout. Uh, Argentina goals before that you see them on the television. That is a great answer. That's, that's clever. Seeing, that's really yeah, clever. I've been seeing the goals before any of my neighbours. Oh. For uh, is this the first World Cup I've spent in this flat? I think it might be because the last one I had direct yeah, TV and was oh, yeah. about ten seconds behind all of my neighbours. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah. You have a TDA now. 
I've got cable BBC on, so yeah, I'm in the same thing. I, I think the government. The main thing is I haven't got direct TV, so I don't have the satellite delay. Yeah, but Flow also has some really yeah, big issues with delays. I've not found that stuff. Really? Maybe because I've had problems. Maybe because like, I'm in a building. Mexico game. Uh, it depends yeah. if you watch it on your television or with Flow or in your laptop. If you watch it on television, you're quite ahead. If you watch it on your laptop. Uh, you're like 40, 50 mm-hmm. seconds uh, you know, behind it. On my TV, actually, well, I was behind. I think right. for the next game, I might have to just disconnect flight and <laughs> go for the old yeah, an- yeah. analog cable. Exactly. Uh, I mean, if you want to get first, that's, that's the best way. It's horrible waiting for people to shout to know Argentina's uh, you know, You know what, what way I actually realized that what's the most uh, for, what, how can you get the, the goals first compared at least to flow, which it is what I have, the DirecTV app. Mm. It's, it's really funny because when I watch games on the DirecTV app, on my phone, I get goals like three or four seconds before flow, which is crazy. To drag this back a second, because I have a feeling that this question wasn't directed at <laughs> no, which, which neighbourhood has the most up-to-date cable service, yeah, and this rather th- which has the best atmosphere to watch And I feel it. like that, no, that no listeners can relate to this conversation. Either. No, we should say that... Um, Unlike a lot of other countries uh, like England and I don't know about uh, Netherlands um, where, you know, World Cup watching is very much a group affair. You go to pubs, you go to open air events, you throw beer and act like a dick. Watching the World Cup in Argentina tends to be an intensely personal affair. You have your family, you have at the most a very, very limited circle of friends who you would have the confidence to invite into your... um, you're in a circle to watch a game with, which, mm-hmm. which is still quite um, uh, quite unusual. Mm. But generally, the games are watched alone or with your immediate family, or as I say, with a very hampered group of friends. It's not a group event. It's yeah. it's like an intense. It's a penance. Yeah, it's, it might even not it's an even intense people. personal. Act of suffering. Well, you do have the amphitheatre here in Pakistan, Centenario, where the mystery. Some people, yeah, but and, I don't uh, think and, any of those people uh, are particularly bothered no, about it. I went for a few non-Argentina games yeah. at the last World Cup to that, because obviously yeah. that was what I was looking yeah. at. So yes, in fact, this is my first World Cup at the current flag. Yeah. Um, and it's good fun. Like yeah. going there to watch England, I went there to watch a couple of Colombia games, which is great fun because there are lots of Colombians in Buenos Aires. Um, but yeah, like I, I think I might have gone for one of the Argentina group games, but. Yeah. But even what I find, what I find most striking, that even that the friends that I would go, that I go to the River Plate Stadium every other weekend to, they wouldn't invite me, no. or they don't invite each other to watch the Argentina games. Mm-hmm. So even that, when there is this bond, this trust that nobody in the group is mufav, brings mm-hmm. bad luck. Yeah, there's a lot of superstition. So yeah. there, there's a lot of superstition uh, involved, uh, and everyone watches it at home. It's like mm-hmm. maybe, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe I mean, uh, being if you have to, you watch it in the office. Like on Wednesday, a lot of people, you know, couldn't get yeah. home in time, so you watch it in the office. If, if you have, if you have the luxury to be able to watch the games from the comfort of your home, no? yeah, yeah, that's of course. Of course. I mean, yes. do you all watch your games from home? I do. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. definitely. Except for the Dutch matches, of course. Then, being a Dutchman, now I go to a bar and celebrate <laughs> if we win with other Dutch. You person. have to go to somewhere to watch it because, of course, you are a tourist or something like that. There is a. a Fun fest. Oh, yeah, it's Plaza yeah. Seva. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a good place to watch. I, I went there uh, in 2018. Plaza what? Sorry. Seva. I, I feel like it's pl- actually, actually Plaza San Martin in Libertador and Sarmiento. Oh, okay, right. Now it's got a different name, I think, but it's the same place. Uh, I remember I went to that's, the... That's where me and Australian Dan went to watch Argentina versus South Korea in 2010. Oh, right. The really? first time we ever met. 
Wow, amazing. Yeah, I was, uh, I was there when uh, the Argentina Nigeria game in 2018. It was quite an experience. <laughs> I mean, the, the despair I was feeling in the You were very lucky final, to get away with that, Sandy. Breaking all of the rules and watching that game in the pu- in public. Look, I watched each, could have gone very I, well. I watched every game of that group station in a different place. Ah, so I mean, brazen flouting of the yeah, but there was a reason. I was I was I was uh, I was in university back then. Uh, I didn't have any time to you know go with my family in time, <laughs> and I had to you know sit for exams during that you, you period as well. Excuses, you don't have to make excuses. Sorry, <laughs> Johnny, who is uh, I think. Even though both Connor and Liam have been listening forever, Johnny is probably the longest-lasting listener who's asking a question this evening because he's definitely been listening since episode one. Says the really important stuff. Purple kit, no, no, or no? Definitely yes. 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 Definitely yes. I'm not. I I think that it needs either more dark blue or more black splash of. I mean, I'm agnostic, but I would, you know, put a gun to my head. And I would lean towards yes. I'm also not a big fan of just, uh, I mean, you know this from past World Cups, but I don't like the block colouring. Right. I was really pleased with one of England's matches that I saw, I think it was against the States, they had blue shorts on rather than all mm. white. Uh-huh. It just looks so much better. I don't know why FIFA make them just wear all the same colour every time. Yeah. It's, I, 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 it's not a danger for Argentina because they look like they're all wearing pyjamas if you put them in blue, sky blue and white shorts as well. I actually but, think the, the, the Argentina away kit is better than the home kit. I mean, if I'm looking for design, mm. there we go. Yeah, I mean, it's rubbish. Those, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, yeah, it's, I, it's I like, horrible. No, I, I really like the home kit as well. I, I do like it. I, I don't mind the most of the design, but just those, the stripe on the back at the middle that isn't the same width as all the others. Like, <laughs> but okay, that's because it forms a flag. Yeah, sure, but the whole fucking shirt is <laughs> wide stripes. That's the flag. Yeah, but, okay, but but does the, the perception of how we view the kit does it differ? Does it depend on the results as well? Because nobody, nobody liked the, the, the yeah. Argentina. Well, it's still one of the worst shirts oh, no, Argentina has ever worn. Nobody liked the World Cup of the, 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 the Copa America, America. Uh, Camo. Yeah. Yeah. And while we're on this subject, Remy, I've, I've mentioned this to you by WhatsApp. Oh. What's going on with the Netherlands? <laughs> they, they look. <laughs> it's sometimes it's yellow, sometimes it's orange. It's they look crazy. exactly. Tangerine, sure. No, that's a, that's uh, okay. My parents, who, who live in the Netherlands. They have a quite eccentric taste in how they decorate their home. <laughs> their curtains are the exact same color scheme, yeah. and and like with this, this it's sometimes it feels like a little bit of yellow, sometimes a bit of red, like reflecting orange. It, it's, it it's horrible. It's horrible. I didn't like it in my parents' home. I don't like it in this in this kit. But if I, we if I we win this World Cup, uh, of course. The wicked is cool. Though. I don't necessarily yeah. mind it as a kit, but it's not a Dutch kit. Yeah, yeah. They, it's it's just it's horrible. I don't it's know if really you noticed horrible. the Uruguayan uh, home kit. The, the, how you the buttons? I think it's yeah, it's it's very conservative. It's oh, really away conservative. One, though, with that massive badge with the number. Ah, uh, yeah, that's yeah, with that's all, with all the away kits from the Puma uh, wearing I think national teams. Even is, leaving aside all of the ethical and moral issues about this World Cup, it's not going to go down as a classic for kit design. Well, well um, I really like the almost all of the Adidas kits. Like the Japan is beautiful. Spain home is beautiful. Germany is beautiful. I really, I really even like one that the everyone German hates, is which is the Belgian one. one. No, I think that's great. I think that's. Great. I'm, I'm not being paid by the Belgian embassy to say that. By the way, no, I think it's great. I mean, everyone hates the little, you know, fire in the in the sleeves, but I love it. No, man. but it's great. It's the same the same concept that Adidas implemented for the Argentina's yeah. away kit with the flares of the the, the Inca sun that they have mm-hmm. on the on the, uh, the purple away kit of Argentina. Uh-huh. I think those details they make it yeah. beautiful. Maybe because they like more daring shirts than conservative. 
because I like to see something different once in a while, which is why I love all the Adidas kits. And the away Mexico kit, by the way, Ooh, that's on the home stunning. as well. Yeah, yeah, they they've only been able to use it for three matches, but and yeah. I don't know why I like the Portugal one, which is like to 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 vary. Oh, I hate that one. I hate, I hate it. Anyway, it's weird. We're going to end with a non-national team question, which was sent to us a few days. It was actually sent to me a few days ago by email, and I think probably that Lee meant it for the podcast. So I'm going to read it out here. I know we'll be listening anyway. So rather than reply to the email because I'm lazy, I'll just read it out here. Plus, we've got Andres and Remy here, who is arguably. Uh, better directed at than for me. Lee's email says, Hi Sam, hope you're well and enjoying the World Cup. Thank you, Lee. I saw that River are selling off the old seats that were installed in 1977 for the 78 World Cup. I can see it now. You and Andres sitting on a pair of the old wooden River Plate sheets in your lounges, watching the Michel Arios match on TV, sipping a fennet or sharing a mate. He seems to think me and Andres live together. <laughs> Will Will you or Andres be looking to purchase should the opportunity present itself? Um, so the first thing to say is I won't because partly because I don't really give a shit and partly because I live in a flat where we don't really have any space at all for Ali would not seats. be happy if you I don't think she'd be that bothered but there's no room <laughs> there, there is no room in our flat for anything else that's not cat toys um, but we have two not only River fans but actual people who go to River matches and are members and stuff Remy, Andres, will you be purchasing a chair from the Monumental? I will most definitely not be buying one. And I think the best reason I can give is it's in the Monumental. It's more comfortable to actually go to the Popular standing section than, than try <laughs> to fit yourself in those 77 if seats. The, because if they were selling the new ones, then yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's horrible. I mean, of course, uh, and especially for people abroad, there's a lot of nostalgia about Argentine stadiums and how like things, because they're not very modern, they can worship things that are somewhat old-fashioned. I've, I think I've seen one River Plate match ever on those very old seats and it's it's horrible. It's so <laughs> uncomfortable. You'd rather stand and actually sit down. But you can't stand up because people behind your back will start right. shouting at you. you. And if you're like me, about 1 meter 90 tall, your legs, you won't have any uh, room for your legs. So no, I will not be uh, <laughs> buying uh, one of them. Andres, you're much shorter than 1 meter 90. Are you going to be buying a chair? No, I won't. I, I I am almost uh, all the time standing in the in the in the matches and so I, I prefer not to buy. Uh, in, in, there was a time in which they also sold uh, pieces of, of of grass of the old grass yeah. because they are they now have a new one and I didn't buy it either. So uh, no, no. I, I don't do, do either of you know how much they're selling these seats for? Oh, too much by definition <laughs> yeah, because no, they're 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 yeah. yeah, where would you buy something like that? Um, anyway, Lee also says he's going to be over in October 2024. That's oh, wow. seriously planning ahead, Lee. Uh, but I look forward to seeing you again when you're over. Uh, that's it, I think. We haven't had any more on Twitter. No, we have not. So I'm going to call time on this one. Thank you very much indeed. It's been a long recording, but you know, with all this extra stoppage time in this World Cup, you're probably used to that already by now. Um, so thank you very much indeed for listening to us. We will talk to you again after the World Cup, whatever happens to review Argentina's knockout stage. Even if they go out in the round of 16, I think we'll still probably wait until the World Cup is over uh, before recording again, because I can't really be bothered next week. Um, for now, it's thank you very much for listening, and goodbye from Andres. Thank you, goodbye. From Santi. See you around, guys. From English Dam. Goodbye. From special guest, Remy. Talk to you in four years. <laughs> and from me, thank you, and goodbye.